0: To God be the glory, great things he has done. Uh, I'm so very happy to be here with us this morning, and thank you so much for having us. Well, uh, I just want to test if it is working. No. Okay. Well, uh, I come from a Sunni Muslim background, you all may know that uh, the major divisions in islam is sunni and shia so i come from the majority of them uh, represent sunni muslim uh, community and i am representing a kind of uh it's not working well, i just want to make sure we turn on the video that's just that video okay okay So I come from a Sunni Muslim background, and this is my family. Uh, That's me, Vihan. Vihan is my pseudonym name uh, because I travel to Central Asia and Africa and many Muslim countries. So that's the reason we are using uh, the pseudonym name, Vihan. My wife is Jaya, my son is Jasher, and daughter is Jennifer. Uh, I just want to start with testimony. Uh, I just want to make it short so that uh, uh, we can kind of meditate what God has for us today. Well, when I was 19 years old, I met this person, a close kind of uh, friend of of my father. uh, I need to say this, uh, my father died when I was two years old. Okay, so this particular person, uh, a very close friend of my father, uh, has a son. Okay, so he and my older sister are kind of of same age. I'm the youngest in the family. So this person, when I met him when I was 19, he told me about my father, whom I do not remember, I don't know much about. So it was very interesting for me to hear from somebody else about my own father. So uh, we spent about three days uh, in my native place where I had visited for some short time. So he took me uh, out for a touring and we were on the kind of boat. We were rowing boat and we were on the boat and he started sharing gospel with me. When he started sharing gospel with me, and you know, like we were in the middle of the lake and I could not escape, I could not jump. So, you know, uh, and also they were hosting me and I, I didn't want to be rude, but when he was trying to share gospel with me and I tried to resist and I said, kind of, brother, can we talk something else? Uh, you know, and then he said, kind of, Vihan, I would like to share something Uh, that would change your life. And here is a God who is Jesus Christ. He can forgive our sins and he can give us a brand new life which we can live here on earth and with which we can continue in heaven. So until that point of time, I thought nobody on earth can forgive me because what I was going through. So uh, that kind of really uh, made me to think, oh, is there a God who can forgive me and can give me a brand new life and also can have a, a kind of communication with me every day, a companionship with me every day. So, and then he was sharing gospel with me. And then uh, the second day again, on the third day, we were just uh, moving around. He was sharing gospel with me. On the third night, I could not sleep and all the scriptures that he was sharing with me were coming into my mind and I was disturbed, I I did not sleep at all so the next day we are supposed to kind of leave, both of us, to my uh, place in Chennai and he to United States, actually he had left uh, India in 1977 and he was back in India in the year 1990 so he was packing up everything and I just went to him, brother All that you were sharing with me, kind of disturbing me, I could not sleep. Uh, Will you give me that uh, book that you are reading? I would like to read. So he just paused for a while. He looked at me and he said, "Uh, let's go to a shop. I want to buy a new Bible for me. So he bought a new Bible for me and uh, we departed. I came to my native and uh, uh, it is Chennai in Tamil Nadu, India. If you understand, it is the southern part of the country. And every evening, I would take this Bible, go to my terrace, uh, the roof, and I would sit there and read Bible and pray. In six months' time, God had completely transformed my life. I'm not sharing the complete testimony because of our time. uh, And when I saw the transformation in my life, I wanted to share this to my brother who was very close to me. When I shared this testimony to my brother and uh, he was so angry and he was annoyed and he went to, uh, he went and shared with everyone in the family. So from that day onwards, for the next six months, I was under this verbal persecution. Like uh, I have a very big family, well-learned people in the family. We were about all together, if we can count, we would be there about a thousand relatives Imagine so many of them. See, the maulanas, maulavis, relatives, they all would come to me and they will tell me that, you know, what you have done. You know, all the other people in the world are supposed to come uh, to Islam and they should receive Allah. Whereas you have become, uh, you know, an unbeliever and you have become a traitor of Allah, it's better you repent. Uh, and then kind of I try to explain them what has happened to me in my life. I was trying my best to convince them what God has done in my life. So it was growing day by day, kind of, uh, uh, you know, nothing was happening. At one point, my brother-in-law, he called me, and if you are planning to continue as a Muslim, um, as a Christian, you should leave home. So we would count that you're dead. So uh, one fine day, I decided to leave home, and I left home, and I walked with Jesus. So uh, in the next kind of a year or so, uh, my mom, she gave me some money without knowing to anybody and to start some business. So I started a small restaurant, and guess what? I went in loss. But when I was leaving home, I prayed in my heart to Jesus, Lord, you make me rich so that when I, you know, become rich, I will go and tell my family how you have blessed me. But here, when I started this business, it went in loss. Okay, then I again started a small garment business, went in loss. And the third business was uh, these satellite dishes, the huge ones in those days, kind of, you know, uh, you just erect on the uh, top of your building. And that business was a very good success. But my partner ditched me and he took all the money and went away. So here I was like, Lord, what's happening with me? So when I went and met God's people around, they said, God is calling you for the ministry. Then I said, what is ministry? And they said, whatever God has done in your life, you go and tell others. I said, wow, that sounds good. I can do that because he has done great things in my life. So in the meantime, when I was uh, uh, I met my wife now so uh eventually we got married and uh, i was really kind of uh, thinking what should be i doing uh, because all my business has gone in loss so uh we were attending this particular church and then uh, i was attending one small gathering like this and uh, god spoke to me very clearly that he's calling me for the ministry so uh shortly like this particular pastor in the church he announced that God has given us the burden to the church to send missionaries to north of India who wants to go and my wife and I both of us said we want to go and then after the service we went and met this pastor and the pastor said where do you guys want to go and we said wherever you send we are willing to go but he said you go and pray when we prayed God put this uh, city in our heart and then a couple of weeks later we were going and meeting pastor and before we could tell him he called my name and he said I was praying for you what do you think about Calcutta and he said well God had put this name in our heart we wanted we are here to tell you that then he said this is how God confirms our calling and okay so eventually we left to Calcutta, West Bengal, when this uh, uh, my son, whom you saw uh, he was three months old since then, we he's 28 years now, we are based in Calcutta, India so this city is known as the city of Teresa, Mother Teresa and the city of joy so uh, God helped us to plant several churches and then uh, kind of raise up so many local people and God also started using me as a trainer Uh, for so many resource materials God gave me grace to use this platform to talk to all the leaders and the people, audience that we need to think about Muslims they are growing rapidly and nobody is working, we need to start working among them so And uh, God opened up the door for me to work with partners. I am here with partners. And what are we doing with partners? I just want to quickly go and then we can uh, read the word of God. Okay. So India has uh, about 378 million overlooked, uh, not India. This is South Asia. So South Asia has about 378 million overlooked Muslims. So this 378 million, about 213 million Muslims are from India, and then about 168 million Muslims from Bangladesh, and rest of them are from Nepal, Sri Lanka, and Maldives, okay? So we I'm not adding uh, Pakistan and bah- Afghanistan here, because as Indian, I cannot go to Pakistan, and Pakistanis cannot come to India because of the political issues over there. So. The missiologists today, they are saying that this particular region is going to be the next uh, frontier for the missions. So uh, what are we doing there? We have these vision casting seminars. Vision casting seminars. What are we doing in the vision casting seminars? We are sharing about the need. Uh, I would just say that in uh, before Uh, 1947 India uh, Pakistan and the present Bangladesh they were all together so in 1947 uh, we had this partition uh, Pakistan got after the uh, 1947 we had the freedom and after that in a year's time we had this partition and Pakistan and East Pakistan which is known as Bangladesh now they got divided So in 1951, after the partition, India's Muslim population was 9.8%. Okay, So in 2021, they have grown up uh, and the current population is 14.2% Muslims in India. Whereas the Christian population in India in 1951 was 2.3%. In uh, 2021, the current percentage of Christians... In India, is 2.3%. So, what does it say? They have not grown up at all. So, among these 2.3%, only 1% are approximately, about 1% are evangelicals. In world Christianity, uh, 69% people are non-Christians. Among, like, 31% we have. like Among 31%, 17% are Roman Catholics. And then we have... Uh, about 13% evangelicals in the world and 1% are orthodox, okay? So this is the condition. So in India, when I'm talking about India, um, it's like only 1% are evangelicals. So we give the vision and then we ask leaders that we need to increase more of laborers, okay? So today's sermon, it's not a sermon, it's kind of a thoughts from the scripture that I'm going to share in a while. And then uh, we also... Uh, find Muslim background believers and Muslim background leaders and we are encouraging them, equipping them and uh, kind of uh, engaging them into the church planting ministry. So we also uh, equip trainers of trainers and coaches who would walk alongside these church planters so that they will not uh, feel lonely. Or they would kind of you know uh, quit in the middle. So it's kind of a mentor accountability layer. A beautiful thing is going on. We are also kind of uh, uh, collaborating with the local organizations. So far, you know th- uh, about thirty local organizations in India are envisioned and equipped uh, so that uh, very soon in the coming year in January we are going to sign MOU with them so that they walk half the way and as partners we walk half the way. And together we will be engaging in the ministry among Muslims. So uh, I just want us to, um, this morning, I just want us to turn our uh, Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 onwards. So in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, we read this, uh, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Verse 37 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As I was meditating upon this passage, and we see that Jesus went throughout all the cities, villages, and teaching in the synagogues. Okay, and Bible says that he was proclaiming the gospel of kingdom, and he was healing every disease and affliction. But when he saw the shepherd, um, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion for them. And the Word of God tells us they they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without shepherd and now he calls his disciples and he tells them harvest is plentiful laborers are few when i just see this place i see that actually the need was of shepherds there he 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 is speaking in the synagogues when he saw the people right there in the synagogues he, jesus felt that in, in in spite of having shepherds he found them lost and harassed and helpless so uh, he did not say to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful and the shepherds are few. But he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are, laborers are few. So, uh, you know, the idea is that God wants his shepherds to serve as laborers. God wants his apostles. Like we have this uh, five-fold kind of uh, um, gifts That we read in Ephesians chapter 4, which is apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Okay? So here we see that he wants all of them to serve as his laborers. If we turn our Bible to Matthew chapter 10, in verse 1, Jesus, uh, we can just, we can see that Jesus calls the disciples and gives them authority over unclean spirits. Right? He calls his disciples. Whatever he was doing, he is giving power and authority to his disciples to do from that time onwards. In Matthew chapter 9, uh, you know, uh, what we see, that the harvest is plenty, laborers are few. When Jesus said this, it was only Jesus who was actually working. He was equipping and mobilizing his disciples who were later on sent as apostles to begin the ministries in many parts. So, you know, even today, if you're going to say that harvest is plenty, laborers are few, I would slightly differ. Yes, harvest is plenty, laborers are few, but few in the harvest field, but God has added so many workers to his fold over the years, right? 2,000 years later, he has been adding people, like so many people. Like we can say that, you know, in verse 5, he sends the 12 disciples with the instructions, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of Samaritans. And he, he tells them, but rather go to the last sheep, the house of Israel. At that point of time, he did not want his disciples to go among the Gentiles, or among the Samaritans, but he wanted his uh, disciples to go to the last sheep, the house of Israel. I was just thinking, Lord, why would you, you know, because all of them were lost, why you were asking your disciples to go only to the uh, last people, the house of Israel? And God spoke to me saying that Jewish people, the Israelites, they had the light, they did not have salvation. They were already given the law, and now it was easy for Jesus and his disciples to win them and have some more workers with them so that they can go among the Gentiles. So what we see, uh, like you know, in verse 7, uh, it says that as you go, you proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, but I'm uh, even with this song this morning. Uh, some of the songs that we were singing, "You brought the heaven down," right? That's what we sang, and he is the one who brought heaven down. Uh, the very first one who proclaimed that to us was John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter three, verse two, it was John the Baptist who said, the, uh, "Repent, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand." And then in Matthew chapter 4:17 from that time onwards Jesus began to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. Even this particular passage this morning that we read, Matthew chapter 9, we see that Jesus, he was going to every city and village, he was teaching in the synagogues, and the, and, and we see that he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And then Matthew chapter 10, when he was calling his disciples, and he's commissioning them by giving all the authority to do whatever he was doing at that, until that part of time. In verse 7 of Matthew chapter 10, we see, as you go, proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? And then he's giving them the command that in verse 8, to do whatever he was doing. And then in verse 10, he tells them, laborer deserves his food. So, actually, all the 12 were his apostles. All the twelve were his disciples. He calls them, but he tells them to go as laborers. The same story we see in Luke chapter 9, uh, where we see, you know, he calls all the twelve, he gives them the power and authority, and he sends them out. Like I have mentioned this here already, uh, you can see that Matthew chapter 3-2, Matthew 4-17, Matthew 9-35, Matthew 10-7, it's all talking about the kingdom of God. And Matthew chapter 6-10, he's teaching uh, a model prayer. In the model prayer, you know, the very first point was your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? So even, you know, the very first thing, the core thing, the the preliminary basic thing that Jesus Christ is teaching his disciples is, let your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is uh, in heaven. So when God wants his kingdom to come all over the earth, right? Not in small pockets. Okay, his kingdom here, what is this area? Aurora. Okay, his kingdom in Aurora, his kingdom in Denver, uh, somewhere the Golden, and then maybe the Colorado Springs, but he wants his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. When he says on earth, you know, we have this beautiful scripture, uh, Habakkuk 2.14, which says, the knowledge and the glory of God will cover the earth as water covers the sea. Isn't it beautiful? okay? So he wants uh, all the people, every man, even like uh, the congregational prayer, I was so like, you know, drawn to that. It says that every man, woman, and the child, right? Every person on earth will be calling upon the name of the Lord, right? And then, uh, I'm just uh, not going through, and I'm just, it's not kind of a typical sermon here, uh You know, God gave me this burden to uh, put some of the thoughts in our hearts so that we can start thinking and pondering upon, right? Okay, here is the passage here. Um, I just want to tell us that when he sent 12 disciples, right? All of them, we call all the 12 apostles of God. Why do we call them apostles of God? I'm just passing, you know, we are just a small crowd, we can even interact. Why do we call them apostles of God? Because they were the pioneers of the work. The apostolic calling or apostolic gift is to do the pioneer work, to begin the ministry in new places. Even among us, if somebody is having a call to start the ministry in the new place, it is apostolic gift. And then we see the prophetic gift in Ephesians. What is the prophetic gift? You know, what God has done so for us, right? And then what he's going to do for us, the prophet will be pointing out in the word of God. And then eventually, I say all the 12 apostles, right? They were also a prophetic people because they were pre- talking to us throughout the Bible, Right in all the epistles in the New Testament we see them again and again pointing out the Old Testament saying right from the beginning what God has been doing for us okay and all these twelve apostles the disciples of Jesus Christ were involved in evangelism and they were all kind of doing the ministry of a shepherd if some of us among us if somebody is going after a lost sheep what do we call them what is that gift shepherd, right? Because you're going after the last sheep. And then God wants all of us to be like Ezra. Ezra 7.10, if you read, it says, Ezra had devoted his heart to study the word of God, and to practice the word of God, and to teach the word of God. Right? So all of God wants these qualities of studying the word of God, practicing the word of God, and then Teaching the word of God. So he wants all those things in us. So what I'm saying, all these, Jesus Christ and the 12 disciples, the 13 of them, moved into the neighborhood of their own people who had the law, who had the light, but not salvation. And when they went and proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom, more people were added, right? In Luke chapter 10, we see that he sent 72 where he uh, himself was about to go, right? I I, I was attracted to this uh, phrase over there, where he himself was about to go, right? So Jesus was there as a God. He could, you know, at one time he could go to everywhere. He could do that, but he did not do that. So he equipped, he spent about three and a half years, he equipped all his disciples and he sent them. So the 13 of them, they began the ministry and then soon we see in the scripture that 72 were added and they were sent into the ministry. Again, in Luke 10.7, we see the same expression what we saw in Matthew uh, 10.10. The laborer deserves food here it says laborer deserve the, uh, deserves the wages in Acts chapter one fifteen we see that uh, um, uh, Peter stood among one hundred twenty brothers see Jesus twelve disciples and then seventy two disciples and then one hundred twenty of the brothers together. And then in Acts 2.41, when Peter was preaching, about 3,000 souls were added. And then in Acts 2.47, the Lord added to the number day by day. Right? So God has been adding people to his body, to his fold, for the last 2,000 years. Right? And we call it his body, his church, his bride. And now, uh, the reason God added people to his body is to uh, to be a living and active members of his body. If anybody is joined in his body, he wants his part of his body to be living and active. Right? Uh, I would not want this little finger to be a dead member in my body. If it is not working, I would call it paralyzed, a numb, it's not responding, right? So when God is adding people to his body, he wants each and every one of them to be active and living members of his body. And now I'm so thankful to God that God has been uh, active, the Holy Spirit of the Lord, you know, kind of helping us to move forward after 2000 years we are about 13% evangelicals, right? We are uh, the Samo, South Asia Muslim outreach. We are focusing Muslim people, those who believe in oneness of God. In Arabic word, the word Tawheed means oneness, right? And then when they look at Christians, they think we worship three gods, they think that we are worshipping father, son, and mother Mary. And also, some of the Muslims, they ask me, why you people are divided into so many denominations? And why you people are divided into so many doctrines? Whereas, in Acts, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, we read about one God, one body, one mind, one hope, and one gospel. Right? And also in Ephesians, a beautiful chapter where it says that all these members together are connected to the head Jesus Christ. Right? That's the calling. So, where are all these laborers of God? They are in the churches, they are attending Sunday services, and their uh, complete 100% focus is on like, okay, if I attend Sunday service, well, I have done my part. But whereas actual work begins on Monday and continues up to Saturday, as, let us say Friday, maybe we can keep Saturday as off day. Then we all come back on Sunday and then we say, you know, celebrate uh, for what God has been doing in the marketplaces in the weekdays. You know, maybe somebody is rising up and saying, here I witnessed to two people. If that is going to happen. If every man, woman, child in the Christendom. If they reach out to every man, woman, child in the non-Christian world. Soon the world will reach. You know we are talking about multiplications. We are talking about movements. I would encourage even addition can do wonders. I said in world Christianity we are 13% evangelicals right imagine all those 13 percent evangelicals every man woman and the child each of them pick up only one person for one whole year let us say year 2023 January or they make a decision in this whole year I'm going to pick up one person I'm talking about all the 13 percent evangelicals just one person picking up another person, spending one whole year intentionally. What do you think? Like by t- the end of 2023, we can have 26%. And end of 24, we can have 52 And end of 25, we are over 100%. The job is only about 3 to 4 years, but 2,000 years passed and we are counted 13% evangelical. In India, we have only 1%. You know, God is asking, who will stand in the gap? Would you stand for me? Would you be my mouth? Would you be my hand? So, so uh, like I said, I'm not here to preach kind of a typical sermon. I'm just here to uh, make us think. And you can see the picture here. The harvest is plenty. And here, church. And I think God is sending His people to His own people, those who are lost. uh, Please do not misunderstand me. Into the congregations, it's beautiful. There is no ministry outside the church, but He wants His church, His members, to be active and living. So all the even uh, in Matthew chapter twenty, if we see even, I believe that uh, God would be standing at the doors when we walk out of Sunday service he would say would you come with me to work in the harvest field shall we go together that would be the challenging question we need to pray for Muslims you can see that uh, it's very important uh, the visitation of the Holy Spirit pray that the Lord may break down all the barriers of hindrances to reach our neighbors with gospel you know somebody recently I spoke in an India mission summit and there was a question what is the greatest challenge to reach Muslims and I said we are the challenges we are the challenge we are the barriers we need to break our prejudices You know, uh, we need to step out and we need to encourage one another that we need to win souls and then what we sang this morning He brought the heaven to the earth, not only for us to enjoy, but for the whole world to enjoy. See, uh, it was Abraham's prayer that Ishmael would would live before him. And God has answered that prayer that all the families of the earth would be blessed in him through his son Jesus Christ. Through his descendant Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the answer. The only name that can save people. Those who are lost. Uh, You know kind of Muslims are growing and multiplying. And very soon in 2050. They are going to be the largest religion in the world. So it's time for the church to rise up. And to become witnesses among them. So uh, you can see some of the pictures of the training that we are doing. Uh, You can see the leadership development seminar. We cannot write anything else. I cannot write South Asia Muslim outreach there because of our government. The doors are closing out over there. Uh, But God has been doing wonders. Do we have more pictures? No, I think this is the last. Okay, you can still go and see some pictures. There are, uh, I just want to tell a couple of little stories what God has been doing. And I would invite us to stand up and pray, right? Uh, There is a state called Nagaland, the northeast part of India. It's a Christian state, right? I'm giving this illustration because uh, you will understand why uh, very soon. So, all of them have nice churches and nice, amazing things, but they were not evangelizing the other people out there. So, the Muslims in Bangladesh, Muslims in other parts of India, they were going inside this particular state and they took over all the businesses from the local people. In a very small city, there are about 48 mosques. And uh, the local church did not realize that the Muslims are growing rapidly. So when I went there, God put this scripture in my heart from Deuteronomy, which says, an alien among you will rise above you, and he will grow bigger, and you will grow smaller and weaker. He would be the head, and you would be the tail. And they just broke down and all of them came together on the knees, and they wept, saying that, now, this is time for us to act. One particular pastor, he was well-paid, and he resigned his job, and he started the ministry among Muslims. The other story I would say is, there were about 55 Muslim background leaders who are pastors, but not working among their own community, but working, you know, uh, like they were Christians, and kind of, you know, they were pastors of the church. But God took us to give them the vision, and they received the vision, and all these pastors now have started the ministry among the Muslims. They are growing. In India, now, we have two workers for 400,000 Muslims. Just two workers. If this is continuing, very soon, there will be 600,000 Muslims But still two workers. The work is increasing. The harvest is plenty. Laborers are few in the marketplace. But God has a lot of workers in his congregations.